like to read to you from the Ichangala Sutta. It's not exactly a sutta. It's a saying from the Samyutta Nikaya, the book of kindred sayings of the Buddha. Um, it's one of those little, to me, very inspiring gems that you come across out of nowhere, hiding under a rock or something, because it's never quoted. I just stumbled upon it by accident. Uh, one of the most interesting things that come out of it is that you find that the Buddha, even after he attained full enlightenment, he's the Buddha, still uh, would do his own retreats. For those of you who think there's an end in sight, there, there isn't. Or it's just for the beauty of it. So it's not some kind of medicinal thing that you do in order to get some uh, cure. It is that, but in addition, there's something intrinsic to the nature of contemplation that even the Buddha, after being enlightened, continued to do. Not only that, he did a lot of it. Uh, this one has to do with <clears throat> the rainy season. If you know the uh, tradition at the time, during approximately three months, this is where the three-month course came from at IMS, only we do it at a different time of the year. In, the, in Japan and Korea, they do it when it's cold. But essentially, it was the rainy season. So it was the only thing you could do was meditate. So they did that. Anyway, this is, needless to say, this is talking about some of the virtues of Anapanasati. On a certain occasion, the Exalted One, that's the Buddha, was staying at Ichanagala in a jungle thicket on that occasion, the Exalted One addressed the monks, saying, Monks, I wish to live in solitude for three months. Let no one visit me save the single one who brings my food. Very well, Lord, replied those monks to the Exalted One. Thus no one visited the Exalted One save the single one who brought his food. Now at the end of those three months, the Exalted One, leaving his solitary dwelling, came and addressed the monks, saying, Monks, if the wanderers, this means all the India at the time, and even up until recently, and even now to some degree, was just flooded by spiritual wanderers, just all kinds of odd yogis doing this practice and that practice. Uh, it was uh, an tremendously spiritually uh, alive country. Buddhism was just one thing going on. Monks, if the wanderers who hold other views should thus question you in the following way, friends, in what way of life does Gautama, the recluse, generally spend the rainy season? Thus questioned, thus should uh, should ye make reply to those wanderers holding other views? Quote, this is the Buddha speaking again. He's telling them what to say. Friends, the exalted one generally spends his time during the rainy season in the intent concentration on in-breathing and out-breathing. Now, monks, in this method, I mindfully breathe in and mindfully breathe out. When I draw a long breath, I know. A long breath, I draw in. When I breathe out a long breath, I know. A long breath, I breathe out. And it goes, I won't read it all, it goes all the way through the entire sutta, all the 16 contemplations. Monks, he who would rightly use the words Aryan way of life, best of ways, the Tathagata's way of life, so these are all words for excellence, the highest excellence would rightly do so in calling by this name the intent concentration on in-breathing and out-breathing, to wit, the Aryan way of life, the best of ways, the Tathagata's way of life, has to do with in-breathing and out-breathing. The intent, don't forget that part, the intent concentration on the in-breath and the out-breath. As for those monks who are learners who have not yet won their goal, which means liberation, who dwell aspiring for the unsurpassed security from bondage. For such, 
the intent concentration on in-breathing and out-breathing, if cultivated and made much of, conduces to the destruction of the kilesas, the defilements. Moreover, monks, for those monks who are arahants, now, here the people who are arahants are the fully enlightened ones. They have finished the journey. Their, their hearts are totally purified. There are no kalesas. They've been cleansed, totally. So he's saying anapanasati for beginners, and now he's talking about arahants. Moreover, monks, for those monks who are arahants, in whom the kalesas are destroyed, who have lived the life, done the task, lifted the burden, won their highest good, worn out the fetters of becoming, who by perfect knowledge have become free, for such also the intent concentration on in-breathing and out-breathing, if cultivated and made much of, conduces both to pleasant living and to mindful composure even in this very life. Now here it's not so much for liberation because they're all free, but what he's talking about is it's a good way to live. Or is, uh, you have to understand that when you're breathing freely, it means you're happy. Have you experienced sometimes that even just one breath, when it, it's kind of fine and flows freely and deeply, and nothing particular is happening in your life, but there you are, happy. Has anyone had one happy breath? Good. Mm-hmm. Great. I know you all have, or you wouldn't be here. Monks, he who would rightly use the words Aryan way, best of ways, the Tathagata's way of life, would rightly do so by, in calling by this name the intent concentration on in-breathing and out-breathing, to wit, the Aryan way of life, the best way of life, the Tathagata's way of life. That's, these are all the um, praiseworthy names for the Buddha. Does that inspire you? to do the three-month course? Okay. What I'd like to find out now, because I, I, uh, I think, but I'm not sure. I, if I hear more from you, I'll know. Uh, perhaps we'll move into the fourth contemplation tonight, which is the final one on the body. Uh, we'll be working with that for a while until we move into the feelings and the mind itself, etc. Share with me your experience um, in this context. If you think back, what we've been doing is we've been exploring the breath and more and more the body. We've been getting to know the breath, hopefully, and certain categories have been suggested, certain qualities, long and short and so forth. We've also suggested a relationship between breathing and the body, that there's an intimate association between the way the breath is and the way the body is. They go coarse together, they go fine together. They appear and disappear together. They influence one another. They condition one another. And so, uh, hopefully, along the way, you're getting to know the breath. We've come at it from a variety of angles, but it's always still paying attention to the breathing with learning, I hope, more about the breath, more about its impact on the body. And perhaps you're, at times you're feeling some calm coming along with that because this is a samadhi practice. And in addition, uh, this is something that we take, we'll take up much more later on, but is a very important aspect of these, uh, these contemplations, and that is getting to know the body in the body, that phrase getting to see that there is a body. And through paying attention to the breathing, to the body, to the mindfulness that knows that this is going on, uh, perhaps there is, even without uh, intending to a lot, there's the beginnings of seeing that the body is not owned by you. Sometimes just seeing the way the breath changes and suddenly the body changes. That's what it's, it's showing you. You didn't do that. You're just sitting there watching this show. 
you're paying attention to it and suddenly you have a different breath and a different body. Or you have, when we get into the mind, of course, it becomes even more obvious. And so these first four contemplations, we've only worked on three, match the first section of the Satipatthana Sutra, which is uh, crucial in in our practice. Our whole practice comes from that. And that has to do with getting to know the body, the contemplation of the body, from the inside, not the way uh, a physiologist would know it. Coming to, and we're not into wisdom yet, although it's now beginning to become wisdom. Once you see the impersonal nature of the body, that it's a natural process, it's not too big a jump to begin to see that there is no I or mine, that the body is can be used as the basis for building a self, a sense of self. But as you watch carefully, you can see just a body. It's definitely there. Breath, it's definitely there. But can you find a breather? Now, maybe you think you've found one. Good. I mean, I'd like to hear about it, because I've been looking for a long time. I could use some help. And so sometimes, just in seeing that relationship between the breath and the body, will help you to see that. And just all the different ways we've been looking at this is to come this, the body in the body so that we learn how to uh, tell what a body is. If we can learn how to tell what a body is, then we can know that feelings are not the body, the mind is not the body, and so forth. Very, very helpful. We can learn how to live inside the body with full awareness and to experience it, to become, to become sensitive to the body. Now, what I'd like some help on, you know, to whatever degree that has happened to you, good. And if it hasn't happened at all, it's all right. It will. There are two modes that have been dominant. One has been uh, what is sometimes in the literature called... Uh, following, although I prefer the term tracking, or following where we've gone from uh, the nose down through the abdomen and then up again. I'm just reviewing some things. Following the in-breath as it courses through and using the nose, the chest, and the abdomen uh, at the beginning can be helpful to just pick out these three prominent spots, nose, chest, abdomen. But eventually letting it all just flow smoothly, just feeling the breath flow smoothly, not, not chopping it up that way as it comes in and as it goes out. And that's been, we've done mostly that. And then the last couple of sessions, we've done something called uh, the whole body. We've been aware of the whole body while breathing in and breathing out. Now, what I'm going to very briefly suggest, and then I'd like to know your experience, is that if you read the commentaries on this sutta, that is, there's a, a vast literature on it that is centuries old. Overwhelmingly, the main way in which the practice has been done has been through the, the tracking. That is, the interpretation of what the Buddha meant <coughs> by the, uh, the whole body or by the, the um, long breath and the short breath, etc., has been to pick it up through moving with the breath as you go up and down. A minority view has felt that what the Buddha meant was just attentiveness to the body while breathing, what we just did in this last sitting. And that's by far less frequent. Uh, and there are subtle variations which are not, uh, well, some will be necessary. You might be interested in this. And in some cases, it's when you're with the whole body, you're not coursing with it, you're simultaneously aware of it. So as you're feeling the breath as it comes in and out where, where it is. Um, and these have, have all evolved over the centuries. Um, I've done a lot, both of them a lot. And I have no battle because they're both quite valuable. They each do different things. But here's what I would like to suggest. Which one has been most useful for you in terms of beginning to develop some calm? They have many other purposes, or not many, but some other purposes. And which one uh, of those two have you felt most at home with? Which, which one of those two 
has helped you learn the most about the relationship between the breath and the body? Perhaps none of them. Perhaps both of them. And remember, we also did a sweep, sweeping, which most of you have had more experience with. In short, what I would like now is uh, to hear your experiences with these different techniques, all of which are designed to introduce us to the body, a breathing body. It's been the same thing. Just slightly, the attention accents slightly different. As we've moved on from the first through the second to the third, more accent on the body part to join the breath. At the beginning was mainly the breath. How many people, because I know you're not going to volunteer, I mean, you're just so serene and you don't want to let, want to destroy that. How many people have found the uh, tracking to be uh, useful? Okay. How many people have found the whole body to be useful? Almost the same. How many people have found, if you had to make a choice, have found the tracking to be uh, something that you're more drawn to and it's been more helpful for you? And how many people have found the whole body to be more helpful? It's roughly the same. Okay. <laughs> You're a big help. <laughs> I was hoping it would be overwhelming. Okay, it doesn't really matter. Because um, we're going to move, I think we're ready to move into um, the fourth contemplation. Um, and later on you'll see there's just great freedom in this uh, sutta. It's not that you're, right now I have to you know, regulate and move us along and perhaps make you or suggest that you do something that you may not really want to do. But later on you'll see that you have quite a bit of freedom to really uh, play with all these different things that you're developing. It may even be confusing for you right now. If you Remember one thing, that no matter how varied the techniques seem to be, they're really all just slight variations on one thing, being awake to your breath. All of it. And that's true throughout all 16. Now, we're going to be adding some other things to join the breath, but they're all just techniques, and insofar as they are, there's no need to get attached to any of them. It's important to use them. For example, right now in this first part of Anapanasati, now those of you who have read some books or done some retreats, you know that teachers will often say we're going to do Anapanasati and then we'll do Vipassana. So that what they think Anapanasati is, is these first four, which is just a samadhi practice. But Anapanasati, as has been mentioned a, a bit here, uh, that the first four, the primary use of the first four contemplations is to develop calm, shamatha, samadhi, tranquility training. But then uh, the development continues and it goes into every aspect of wisdom that any other teaching does. So, but at any rate, right now we are concerned with calm. So that a, a rule of thumb or a guideline, whichever of those techniques is helping you uh, to calm down, that's, of course, what you might want to use. It's pragmatic. Whichever one feel more and more has promise for you, potential. And I'm going to suggest a way of working. We're going to come back with something that's more familiar to most everyone later on. But now I'd really like to hear more from you. Could you go into some details? Uh, nothing is too trivial or too small about your experiences with the breathing any of these approaches, what you've been learning, both on the cushion and on that big cushion out there. Okay. Yes? I'm, I'm drawn to this whole body practice, but I'm finding it really hard. Mm -hmm. I also found the tracking really hard. Mm -hmm. But this is hard for a different reason. I find that it's easier for my mind to um, fly off because there's such a broad exactly. uh, focus. Um, so even though I'm drawn to it, I'm not sure at this point that it's as helpful as the tracking is because I've now gotten used to the tracking and 
and, and to manage it, but it seems like it's very, um, uh, very promising. Yes. This whole body thing. Yeah. Actually, when we get into the wisdom part, uh, it can become an extremely uh, profound practice, which where everything comes in, impermanence and so forth. Uh, it's uh, just attentiveness, and the body is the anchor. At a certain point, even the breath and the body are just attention. And it is not something to be done until the samadhi is very, very developed and trustworthy, something that you can just like pushing a button, just have very strong samadhi. So this it's both helpful as laying the groundwork in this way, and later on it can, for those of you who are inclined to it, or drawn to it. Uh, some versions of it are what are called shikantaza in, in Soto Zen, just sitting. Um, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more in a moment, but that's you put your finger on one of the issues. Because right now, what is our main goal in the first four contemplations? Calm. Of course, we're developing some wisdom as we go on. You can't help but. But really, our main goal now is to help, is to develop calm, and really deep calm, uh, a fineness of breath that is uncommon. For example, if we went up to people in the street, let's say randomly, and said, "Is your breath fine right now, or is it coarse, or?" Um, is it smooth, or is it uh, pleasant or unpleasant? You know, some people wouldn't be able to answer at all. But lots of people would, and they wouldn't have a distinction between coarse and fine. But this is what I'd like to say. No matter how fine the natural breath is, that is a breath that has not been used, as, has not been part of training, of, of uh, Vipassana training, relative to what you will eventually taste, it's all coarse. All of it. Even somebody who's, um, I don't know, a gymnast or a great uh, something or other who, you know, the breath is minimum blockages because the level of fineness that we're going to be going to is not possible without training. And so, and that dimension is extremely important because we're moving into the fourth, which has to do with stilling the body. Stilling the breath in order to still the body. If there is this very close association that's been suggested all along, and I'm hoping that you see some of that, when you still the breath, you still the body. When you still the body, you still the mind. And so we're, what we're doing is uh, gradually, patiently, building a foundation for a very strong samadhi to grow out of that. And I think you'll get a, a little more of a sense of it uh, when we, we finish up tonight. But I'll start off with myself. I've had this experience countless times in meditating, uh, sometimes even in short sittings, that as uh, my ability to stay with the breath improves in a sitting or just overall over a period of time, as there's more continuity with the breathing, uh, my posture improves. Sometimes I, I've had the feeling of automatically, as the concentration has gotten strong, by being with the breath with more continuity, suddenly the body, it straightens up. Has anyone had anything like? Good. That's the relationship between the breath and the body. If you had that, then you've learned one of the major lessons of this first contemplation. You know it now. That's not the only thing that happens. Okay, has anyone have anything from your own experience? I've been doing a lot of tracking, and I find that even though I feel sensations maybe in my ears when I think about my ears, I, I'm not quite sure where it is. Sometimes it's oriented as to where the different parts of the body are. But wait, you're following the breath. I'm fo- well, I remember that I wasn't here last week, but remember oh. when you did the guided... Oh, okay. Okay, that, okay, I'm using tracking uh, mainly... Just following, yeah. And I've been doing a lot of what we did two weeks ago. And I find Sweeping, that we call that sweep, or a spotty and scan. Okay. And I find that there are times where I'm, I get disoriented as to where things are. Doesn't matter. I know, but it's a little unsettling when you all of a sudden, you know, feel something in your ear and you're not quite sure where your ear is. And okay. It snaps you kind of out of it. Yes. Yes. Then what you can do is just a moment's attention 
to the to this feeling of disorientation. You know that we, you know, sometimes you can hear a truck and it feels like it's part of your mind. I mean, where do I end and the truck begins? You know, it's just uh, is it true that we're all one? Uh, so that I understand the feeling of disorientation and stranger things will, ha- will happen. Uh, but we're not trying, the fidelity to it in terms of, let's say, a, a, a physiologist or someone uh, expert in anatomy is not, we don't need that. All it's basically, these are all exercises in developing mindfulness, developing samadhi, mindfulness, and eventually wisdom. Uh, it's so that wherever you're feeling, you know, what you're calling, in quotes, ear, even if you feel the ear out in left field, okay, so that's where you feel it. The key thing is not ear or throat or even breath, finally. It's just what's there. Breath is just a word. And you'll see it's just a bunch of particles, that there really is no in-breath or out-breath. I mean, it's a, a, a convenient uh, linguistic agreement that we need so we can talk to each other. But as things get more quiet, uh, that's all there are, these pulsations. And then again, there is a breath. Okay. So, but you can't stop your mind from getting worried, you know, that it doesn't know where it is. And so, let's say you're doing that sweeping or body scan, working down through the body, for those of you who are not here, breathing in and breathing out every step along the way. And something gets thrown up. For example, um, okay, it could be just what, what happened to you then while you're breathing in and breathing out, suddenly the mind is chattering about disorientation. So you turn to it, you hear it. Now, in uh, subsequent contemplations, we'll be examining the mind directly. But for right now, we don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But if you didn't, then it's going to throw you off because fear, etc., will hamper your ability to move down through. So it's best to give it some attention. Okay, hear it out for a few moments. But it doesn't matter that you don't know where you are. Okay. Yes, please. I, get, I find that the progression that you've taken me through has allowed me at this point to be to allow my body to be very open and spacious. So, and I can feel the interconnectedness with everything at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that now uh, tonight will be an interesting challenge for you because we're going to take it away. <laughs> yeah, not finally. And actually, there's a way in which you can use it. You know, at the beginning of a sitting, because it has a calming effect. I gather. Right. Good. Now, you're laying the foundation for uh, an even deeper calm. Uh, when we, we, We're going to move into high gear now with samadhi. In the fourth, that's what happens. The fourth contemplation is specifically a samadhi practice. But it's drawing upon what we've learned. And it's not like we throw this away. Uh, it's not like this is kindergarten, now we've gone to the fourth grade. Uh, you can use this right to the end of your life looking at the long breath and the short breath. And I'll suggest one way that, let's say, you can work and that you can work so that you can play around with it still, but you would be wise to not make it your main practice right now for the reasons that you mentioned. And if that changes, then you can. Anyone else learn anything about the relationship of the breath to the body? Or any... Yes? Yes, it depends on what you've set for yourself to practice. Mm-hmm. If you've set for yourself coursing through the body, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, with the breath moving, tracking, if that's what you've set for yourself, then no matter how vivid these other things become, that's what you stay with. 
if you have a more comprehensive total attention to the body. And the main reason that I felt, one of the main reasons I felt that was useful, is to uh, enhance a bodily sensitivity, to open the body up a little bit. You see, because we're, we're, we're learning about the, the breath independently. All of us, if you keep doing this practice, you're going to know more about your breath. Already you know more than the average person. You have to. And if we learn more about the body, then as we become more sensitive to the breath, more sensitive to the body, then we'll be made more able to see the, the interrelationship between breath-body, body-breath. So I understand what you're saying, and that's good. In the more comprehensive one, you can experience it all as one. And if the body is more prominent than the breath, that's fine. That's what's there. Okay, what you have to watch there, first of all, look at the aversion, as always, um, is to see if you aren't kind of directing the breath or are you literally uh, following the breath? Are you kind of, uh, is the breath really running the show? Or are you kind of slightly pushing it along a bit. And the whole spirit of that is to move with the breath. It's delicate. It's delicate. It takes a while. It's like walking along a riverbank. The river is just moving. It has nothing to do with you. And you're walking along it and you're attentive to it. And periodically you'll lose it. You'll start thinking. The river still keeps going, but you've lost your connection to it. Yeah. But did it ever slow down in any sittings? Um, no, sometimes the spaces in between are more, but, and, and the breath may be little, but it's still a quick in-breath and out-breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, it's down to the big journey. Yeah. It may turn out that you're not drawn to this at all. It's not fatal. It doesn't matter. The techniques are not as important as the spirit underlying what we're trying to accomplish, which is how to help the mind, the heart, settle down, how to become more calm, to collect itself. Anyone using the breath in daily life uh, in a way that's helpful? Can you uh, give some examples? Sure. Good, that's where it starts. And then what it'll grow into is you, your best friend will become your own heart. See, don't get fixated on the breath. It's a physical phenomenon. It's nice. We wouldn't be able to even say that if we weren't here. You sound like the president. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I get it. Okay. Um, finally, Anapanasati Sutta has nothing at all to do with the breath. I know it's a lot of work we're going through. <laughs> I mean, it does and it doesn't, because the breath is an end in itself, we all know. But what, what it really leads to is you could say awareness. Would you mind briefly uh, describing one of your one of your students is using the breath in helping in these very uh, uh, problematic court situations? Um, I, I have a student who works for an agency that deals with people who have been sexually abused and been the victims of sexual attack, and one of her roles is to go to court with people 
And what she's discovered is that by by telling people to stay with their breath as they're testifying, that they're able to stay in the present, basically to be mindful of what's happening in the moment. Because what generally happens, obviously, is a situation of extreme stress and they're facing their attacker. And what happens is the, the mind races to the event of the past, and it's reminding by seeing the attacker face to face, and then there's a fear of what's coming in the future. And she said what a lot of people notice as they're testifying is they start to have trouble breathing at all, start gasping, having trouble breathing. So she prepares them by telling them to attend to the breath as they speak, to take a breath when each question is asked, to be aware of the breath and to stay with it. And then she is often allowed to sit with them and she begins, as they're testifying, to watch her own breath and that communicates itself out and helps the other person to quiet themselves as well. Is anyone finding that the breath is not something you're drawn to to using in daily life? It's not a stigma. You know, we're not going to make you sit in the back of the room. You don't like it. get you fitted with special pants <laughs> just for driving to work and breathing. Jacqueline can take care of that. <laughs> They'll be stylish. What? Exactly. But then the key thing is that, especially in action, and certainly in driving, is the uh, paying attention to the breath helping you be more mindful in the activity? We don't want to create, oh, I'm just having so wonderful to be breathing in and breathing out as you crash into a Mack truck. I mean, it, it, it's a really simple test. Is it helping you be alert to what your main, what your real job is in that moment, which is driving in a, in a fresh way. Because if it isn't, drop it. Remember, the key thing is the mindfulness. And if the breath helps you to do that, then by all means, use it. And if it doesn't, then don't. Yeah, and that's good. The mind uh, thirsts for objects all the time. And all we're doing is we're giving it one that really helps us rather than it. Otherwise, it's just all over the place. So it's a, a skillful intervention. Anything else on your mind? Yes. To just piggyback on that, I think that's one of the reasons that the breath in the body works better for me. Because when I'm doing the tracking, it's like the zoom lens in and it's very concentrated, but because there's so much that's daily life, the breath in the body is a wider field of attention and it encompasses more at the same time as being concentrated. Mm-hmm. It's easier to translate yeah. to daily life for me. Yeah, each person will be different. You all know that. It's not that you're expected to do these very rigorous contemplations while you're in the middle of complicated social action. Not at all. It's just staying in touch with the breath and using it as an aid. And if it's at a particular place, good. If not, just wherever you feel it. Just It's something to anchor yourself in while you're living out your life in that moment. Um, 
something would take listening to some of your comments about uh, being like a whole body and, and it seems fruitful but confusing to get taken away. I'm kind of finding that in this, the whole course that um, it's harder to get concentrated than staying in one spot. It's and harder to get what? To get concentrated. Yeah. To get really concentrated and staying say at the nose. But it seems to be um, very fruitful. I mean, you know, a lot more finally taking me out of my head and realize that I have a body and that there is a connection between the breath and the body. And even though the concentration may be going slower than say that many hours of just staying at the nose, it's the fruit is better. You know, I mean, it, it, it may take longer, it may be a longer journey, but it seems to see a lot more interconnectedness and, you know, there's a lot of value in it. Yeah. And uh, for most of us, it isn't as effective a way of getting uh, really concentrated quickly. And that's what we're going to move to next and tonight. Please. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started doing it, I had a lot of resistance to it. It seems to bring in a lot of energy, and I would get more agitated, more jealous. But as I did it more, um, it seemed my attention to calm down a lot more, and it makes me very um, energetic in a calmer way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really... I've been feeling so fully the last couple of weeks, you know, like I said, in the school or type of school. And so it was really helpful to bring in more energy like that. But the other thing I've been having going on, and it seems like there's a correlation not quite seen. Uh, I've been more and more aware of my breath in what I'm doing, whatever I'm doing. And because of that, I've been breathing deeper. And I've been finding a lot in the last week in particular that my body seems to require more breath now. I'm almost feeling short of breath even though I'm breathing deeper. I'm not sure if that's part of the awareness of my physical condition or what, but it, I just seem to feel sort of short of breath the last week. It's hard for me to know what that's about. I mean, it could have to do with your illness. Um, or it could be what you suggested, is that you're starting, you know, it's like we've all experienced this in the practice. It's not like certain times it becomes more of a problem than it seems than, than when you never heard of this meditation. But it's not that the meditation has given us the problems we're beginning to see. And you, you may, I don't know, you may have developed higher standards for breathing. And so when it's not happening, you really know it, and it's it's uh, painful. I would say that's good, because it's all along, you know, you've not been breathing properly, and it's been at some cost. I, I don't mean you, all of us. And so to move in the direction of more wholeheartedness, sometimes what you have to see is, is the our predicament, whether it's about the breath or how unconcentrated we are or how greedy we are or whatever uh, spiritual quality you want to talk about, as you begin to see it, that's why you have to have a strong stomach to do this work, at the beginning anyway. And is there more calm coming along? Oh, yeah. See, that's the test. Okay. Um, let me say a few things, and then we'll take a sh- very short break, and then we'll have a, another another. We, we won't do any walking tonight.
we're moving on to the fourth contemplation. I'm breathing in and making my whole body calm and at peace. I'm breathing out and making my whole body calm and at peace. This is how the yogi practices. A lot of what we've been doing is leading up to what we're going to be doing now. And we're we're going to up the ante in terms of how can we best still the, still the breath? Because we've been learning all along that the breath does condition the body. I mean, if you've been learning that, if you haven't, then just take it as a, a, a plausible idea that you, you may confirm later on, that the breath is a conditioner of the body. And perhaps you have gotten a glimpse of the fact that as, as the breath becomes more still, the body becomes more still. So what this fourth one is talking about is, let's say, how to make my body uh, more still, a calmer body, more at ease. Well, one of the best ways is to work on the breath. That is, if you can accomplish that with the breathing, the body will follow. It will just automatically uh, become softer, more uh, calm, etc. Okay, now, here we get into a, a delicate thing. Those of you who have done um, the Hasi Sayadaw style or other kinds of teachings, you know that sometimes people will say the abdomen is where you should be. Now, let me come to what I'm about to say in a somewhat uh, unusual way. Not unusual, but uh, indirect way. In the uh, Mahasi Sayadaw uh, style of meditation, which is mainly what Joseph and Sharon are teaching, uh, what Jack teaches, Cornfield, etc., um, that is what is called a Vipassana vehicle right from the start. That is, they also develop samadhi, but they don't do it by taking one thing the way we are and just going for a rather deep level of samadhi. They're uh, starting right off with Vipassana, that is, right from the beginning, seeing the objects arising and passing away. And, of course, using the breath as an anchor. Uh, sometimes there isn't that much difference in effect. But because they're interested in seeing the characteristics of the object, which is what Vipassana is about, seeing impermanence. Sorry I have to be a little technical, but I, it won't make sense unless I do. Uh, we'll insist except under, under unusual conditions uh, that you follow the breath at the abdomen and that they're afraid of you going to the nose. That is a, this very small area, either at the upper lip or the touch point right in the nostrils. Because what they say is you'll go into samadhi too easily or into the jhanas. Jhanas are very uh, deep levels of absorption. Now, when you're in the jhana, you can't investigate. You're absorbed. And so it's, uh, you can't directly investigate. But we are moving in that direction. However, even for us, for, for example, uh, please don't make this some new achievement that you have to get and new form of torture for yourself. But I do have to open my mouth and say this anyway. Um, We're going for, I would say, uh, levels of samadhi that are probably deeper than what you know right now. And uh, one of them is what is called apana samadhi. Now, that's a place, once you learn to get there, that you can drop into. That is extraordinarily healing. But in that place, you can't do vipassana. It's not possible. Because there are no objects. You, you can. You can, in one way, you can turn on the that state itself and see the impermanence in it. But you can't be investigating the full field of what a human being is because all of, this, all of the senses fall away. There's just a lucid awareness and you're totally absorbed in that lucid awareness. That's all there is. So when you've had enough healing, when you've rested enough, when the mind has become calm enough, you come out at, to what is called upachara samadhi, which is 
access. It's in access or neighborhood. It means in the neighborhood of the jhanas. What I just described is, is a jhana. It's a first jhana. First absorption. Now, so that even in our practice, we would come out of those deep states of concentration in order to investigate. Now, the, uh, what the Mahasi uh, Sayadaw people are concerned about is that people will get into the jhanas very quickly and then they won't be investigating. They'll be all blissed out because that's what happens. You get very, very happy. Now, that's their experience in Burma. And my observation in Thailand, it's, sim- it's similar. But it doesn't happen here so much. It, over there, the people are, are simpler. They're not as restless. They're much more obedient. They get meditation instructions. They do exactly what they're told. Do you? You know you don't. We're hopeless in that sense. I mean, we're just creative and weaving everything together and a little of this and a little of that. First of all, they're, they're inoculated from that. Usually they, have, they don't have so many choices for a variety of reasons, culture, etc. So they have a genuine concern about people tasting the jhanas and then, you, then you, you can't get them out of there to do any investigation because they're just too happy and they have no incentive to investigate. They don't care about impermanence. They don't want to investigate suffering. They're not interested if they have no self. Where they are is perfectly all right, plenty all right, and I'm staying here. And so teachers have to become, use all kinds of things to, to do that. But I'm using it because they've acknowledged something that by and large is true. It seems easier to get strong samadhi from here. Now, it's not saying that this is superior to the abdomen or to the chest. It's saying that it is more efficient if it's samadhi that you're, you're, you're developing. In the Mahasi Saito approach, they're not, doing, they're not on a just samadhi first and then vipassana. And what they're studying in the abdomen, they're not looking at the breath in quite the same way that we are. They're seeing it as a They like the fact that it's a rich field of sensations with a lot of movements, more something else that they're interested in. The elements, feelings, and uh, Vedana. Now, we are, I mean, you, you've inherited the, the way the sutra unfolds. If you're going to try and do it the way the Buddha suggests, we're now at a point where we do want to uh, develop samadhi deeply, as deeply as we can, for purposes of improving the depth of our investigation. That's the reason for it, along with other benefits that come from samadhi, which I'll go into next week. So, what I'd like to suggest in the sitting that we do now uh, even if you're a belly person, you know, or if you're a heart person, or if you're a whole, now a whole body person, or a body scanner, or whatever it is, drop it, okay? Please, drop it. If there's attachment to some of these old techniques, examine the attachment. That's one benefit that can come out of this journey. So that we can be fluid. We can just go in and out and just uh, move with life. And you'll be able to get your beautiful, wonderful technique back soon. Not forever. Okay. What, I, what I would suggest is that now uh, we bring attention to this area of the nose, and it, it will vary from person to person, but as you pay attention there, station your attention there. And this practice has it's what is called contact and fixing. The contact part is making contact with the touch here. It's feeling the, the air touch. Uh, it's sort of like slightly inside the nostrils for many people, if not most. But for some people, you'll feel it on the upper lip. So step number one is, where do you feel that touch most vividly? And then step number two is fixing your attention there, that, air, that small area. Now the reason, one of the reasons, that the nose is more efficient in terms of taking us into samadhi is that it's a much smaller area to investigate. The smaller the area that you're investigating, the deeper the possibility of concentration. As some of you have pointed out, when you're doing the whole body, there's a lot of distractions. It's also, there's very, in a certain sense, very little effort needed. What you will be learning to do is, it's like stationing yourself there. It's not like we're following the breath, really. It's sort of like a, an observation post, or some of the images that are used are a gatekeeper, where you station your attention, let's say in the area right near the nostrils, 
and then let's say you feel the touch come in and there's a pause, then you're still there. You're still stationed at that place and you feel whatever's there during the pause and then the breath goes out. And it's not like you're moving with the breath, it's that you're fixing. You're fixing your attention in that small locale, gently, but little by little, you, it does get fixed. Uh, an image would be something like this. The, the um, contact part would be, let's say, a hand grasping an object. Let's say I want to transfer this uh, striker to my right hand. Okay, step number one is I grasp it, but step number two is I have to hold it with a certain amount of pressure or it will just fall through my hands. So step number one is like uh, contact, and that's like grasping the object. Step number two is fixing, and that is granted that you've, you've felt the touch point and you're, you've made contact. Now the question is, can you fix your attention there? So it's a little bit like holding the object. Sometimes it's talked about as rubbing up against, that is, uh, aiming your attention at this area, this small area, and then with your attention rubbing up against it, really staying with it. Okay. And the fact that it is so small, it's also easier. There's not, you, it takes a little bit more work to kind of romp all over the place with the breath and feel the whole body. There are advantages to that as well once you develop it. There are advantages and disadvantages to everything. It's a question of what do you want. Now, what we want to develop now is samadhi. And so, let's, uh, no matter what you've been doing, if you can, do this. Now, here's the escape hatch for all of us. It's not like the things that we've been doing are now obsolete and file them away. No, not at all. A good, uh, let's say you found that sitting with the whole body is very calming, as a few of you have found, very settling. Then start that way. Let's say in a typical sitting, just become aware of the whole body in this open sense. Ten minutes, twenty minutes, five minutes. You know, you, you be the judge. And then when you feel you've settled down a little bit, then enter into that... Uh, then aim your attention at the area of the nostrils. Now, it could also be tracking, whatever, whatever you feel that you would like to do. Now, if you feel your mind, sometimes your mind will be very calm to begin with. You don't, you don't have to do that. Just go right to the nostrils. Most of you have already had some experience there, so this is probably more familiar. And you know the basic guidelines. It's staying there as if your mind leaves, very gracefully, gently easing back without any blame. It's a samadhi practice. We're using one object, namely the, the breath sensations at the nose. We're stationing our attention there in a light way, but also it has, it's fixed. We're learning how to fix it there. And little by little, we're learning how to enter into that object. And in the process of doing that, the mind becomes unified. The scattered energies that are with this object, with that object, they become unified. Now, one of the ways in which working with the breath at the nostrils is more efficient for samadhi practice is that you'll get to very delicate sensations a lot sooner. And, so, and actually, in the tummy and in the chest, it's not quite the same. It's interesting there, too, and also quite valuable. But uh, it, it, it doesn't become as delicate as what's up here. And so the delicacy and the fineness of the sensations that will start to appear at the nostrils as you get the hang of it will help the breath become still very quickly, more quickly. As the breath becomes more still, uh, you will get a sense that the body is really becoming more still. So we're still interested in that. And so what I'd suggest is uh, we'll do some tonight and during the week. Please try to find at least one sitting during the week where you, you practice this um, contact, which means getting in touch with where you feel the sensations at the nose, either at the upper lip or the nostrils themselves, and then staying there, stationing your attention there, and just being with that as continuously as you can. Use a light touch. Now, some people have 
found that by starting in a broad way, let's say for even five or ten minutes, just either um, uh, tracking or just the whole body, that uh, having that more, the license to be just looser and more open uh, enables the person, perhaps for some psychological resistance, but it's not clear to me yet, uh, when the time comes to narrow down and really focus in, that it, there's less resistance to doing that. Or it's as if you say to the mind, okay, you can play freely now, you know, romp and play in the fields, so that then when the time comes to just really go into one area, not move all, there's less variety, then the, it's like a little child, you know, it's then willing to, okay, then I'll do it, because I've had, you've given me some time to have fun, and just have a more open kind of attentiveness. This is not so for everyone, but some people have reported this. I myself have, fe- have felt that. So during the week, you know, which use uh, the first, second, and third are still with us, uh, more as a preliminary, helping to calm and settle the breath, continuing to learn whatever we learn about the relationship of the breath and the body, that's not over. Seeing what we see. And then uh, devoting much of our sitting to um, this more one-pointed kind of attention. Okay, is everyone clear on the instructions? Why don't you take a, a short standing break? Okay, so very softly, let's land, let's, the, the close placement of mindfulness in the area of the nostrils. And give it a few minutes. Some of you may already know where it's best for you to be. For some, as I mentioned, it will be the sensations that you feel in the upper lip. And for many of us, it will be the tip of the nose, but slightly inside the nostrils. And once you've determined where the sensations are most vivid, And just stay there, very, very gently. Just land and be there and await the flow of the breathing, the sensations that you feel. They'll come and go on their own. You don't have to go anywhere. The breath will come to you if you just sit there very patiently. It's a little bit like going to a party. Uh, you can run through all the rooms trying to see who's there, seeing everyone, or you can just stay in the room where the refreshments are. And the whole party will pass before you. You don't have to move. This is for lazy people. not manipulating the breath, letting the breath follow its own nature.
some of you may be very drawn to just going right to the nostrils and doing all or most of your practice that way, and that's fine. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.